Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Well, this week's semi-final, second legs of the Copa Libertadores saw goals, red cards, um, VAR, managers in poor disguise, um, amongst other things. Um, and on that note, there's also even more drama to possibly come as well. Um, so to help me discuss another crazy week of Copa Libertadores action uh, is what some might say is our strongest team. Um, so first I go to the TalkSport 2 star of the week, Austin Miller. How are you doing, Austin? I'm doing quite well, Adam. Enjoying my newfound fame, I suppose you could say. And also joining us is another regular, Mr. Simon Edwards. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. No, really, really big games. You know, you get to a semi-final, you think, how are we going to get a whole long hour pod out of a couple of games? And we could have probably done the podcast on, on Tuesday night and we would have been struggling for time. So, so much to get into. Looking forward to the discussion. And back once again, it's one of the key characters of To Kill a Mockingbird, and that's Tom Robinson. How are you, Tom? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, pretty exhausted, though, to be honest, after these two games. I feel like... I mean, I can't imagine what the fans would have been like, but I mean, I'm yeah, I'm absolutely drained after a very controversial and and peak Libertadores semi-finals. I mean, it just had everything, didn't it? Indeed, indeed. So let's get on to discuss what was an ing- incredibly dramatic second leg in Porto Alegre between Gremio and River Plate. Um, Gremio led one nil from the first leg, and for much of the night, it seemed like they were going to go through. I'm going to ask Austin to sort of break down the drama of this clash. So, Austin, over to you. Cheers, Adam. Yeah, so as you said, 1-0 aggregate lead for Gremio. It felt as though for most of the night that they would be the team going through to the Copa Libertadores final. And as you alluded to earlier, they still might be, but we'll get to all of that later. So in the first half, River Plate came out, attacked Gremio really well, played probably their best football over the two legs, and found themselves down a goal at halftime. Uh, Leonardo with a little half volley after what was, in truth, a really poorly taken set piece from Gremio, a corner that hit the first defender, but fortunately for them, deflected right to their own fullback. Half volley past Armani. It's 2-0 for Gremio. Adam, as you said on the night, it didn't change River's goal. They still had to score two to go through. And that's somehow shockingly what they were able to do in the second half. A couple of points of interest as we kind of walk through this second half. We'll start at halftime, where, as you said, a poorly disguised Marcelo Gallardo, the River Plate manager, who had been handed a touchline ban by Conmebol after his team was late coming out of the dressing room in the first leg against Gremio and had been late at other points during the competition. So a rather harsh punishment, Gallardo banned from the touchline for this return leg. That meant that his assistant, Matias Biscay, would be in charge. Uh, at halftime, Gallardo leaves his suite in the uh, uh, upper deck of the Arena do Gremio in Porto Alegre, puts on a hat and kind of pops the collar of his jacket up to, to make his way to the dressing room in hopes that nobody would see him. Um, he's the manager of River Plate. Of course, people are going to see him. His, his entrance and exit captured by plenty of cameras and, and plenty of media members. This well, um, also, sorry, Austin. Go ahead. What what bugged me about his, that was the lack of effort going into his disguise. Where was the fake moustache? You know, where where was the sort of longer coat? You know, to newspaper try and make with himself... eye holes in it. Yeah, indeed, exactly. You know, got got to at least make also... yourself look either taller, fatter, 
more facial hair. Yeah, he could he could have been been better with his entrance to the dressing room too. I don't know, sneak him in in, in a laundry bin or, or something like that. As you said, a, a very poor effort from Gallardo, and he was deservingly found out. That wasn't the only way that Gallardo violated his touchline ban in this match. He also was seen speaking on the radio uh, on a walkie-talkie um, to his assistant manager, Matias Biscay, who had a, an earpiece and, and a white cord dangling out of his ear for the, the entirety of the night. And it, it was fairly clear that he was he was not simply listening to his favorite Spotify playlist. Uh, Gallardo admitted to as much after the match. Uh, he said, quote, I thought that my team needed it, uh, referring to him going into the dressing room, and that he broke a rule. Now, none of this would have mattered had Gremio simply seen out that 1-0 result. It would have kind of just been a, a humorous subplot to, to River's disappointing exit in the Libertadores. But all of this will come into sharper focus because River play, pull off the unthinkable. They come back against Gremio in the second half. First moment that is important to note. Gremio had a chance to kill this tie off with about an hour to go. Everton, their attacking player who had come back from injury off the bench, gets a chance one-on-one with World Football Index favorite Franco Armani. And Armani is able to make a huge save on a very well-played moment by him in goal. That kept it at 1-0. And then with 77 minutes played, River lumped a long free kick into the box. And Rafael santos Borre, the Colombian, scored the goal to make this 1-1 on the night through some combination of his head Maybe his arm, maybe the foot of a Gremio defender. VAR was able to be used, but was not used. That certainly caused some controversy. Gremio were quite upset that the video assistant review did not come into play here. I don't know that they would have been able to do anything about it, but Gremio were certainly upset that VAR was not even consulted by the Uruguayan referee, Andres Cunha. So now the match is sitting at 1-1 on aggregate. River Plate need one more to go through. And right near the end of the 90, Nacho Skoko from just inside the box fires a shot that is, looks to be deflected well over goal. Initially, Andres Cunha points right to the corner. Corner for River. You think, ah, they might bring the goalkeeper up. Here it goes. We have a bit of a pause. Cunha makes his way over to the monitor, looks at it, and calls a penalty on Gremio's substitute defender, Bresan. It was Paulo Miranda who started at center back for Gremio. He was then taken off for Bresson with about 70 minutes played. And it was not Bresson's night. He picked up a yellow card early, then got a yellow card for this incident where he was then obviously sent off. Uh, was none too pleased about being sent off. Very upset as he was taken off the pitch. And the penalty after six minutes, during which Andres Cunha had a discussion with the military police to make sure that his and his official safety would be ensured following the end of the match, should it finish in River's favor. Piti Martinez pockets the penalty home, 2-1 for River Plate. Gremio pushed a little bit at the end. We had 14 minutes of added time, which is just a great Libertadores number for added time. But Gremio never really created any opportunities. And River Plate go through 2-1. That's how it stands right now. But it's also important to note that Gremio have appealed this result on the grounds of Marcelo Gallardo's disregard for his touchline ban. There is nothing specifically written out in the Conable rules as to what Conable should do if a manager does violate his touchline ban. It's very clear that he's not allowed to have contact with his team in the dressing room, and he is not allowed to have contact with his assistant by radio. Even if he wasn't given a touchline ban, Conable regulations prohibit communication using a radio during the match. So Gremio have appealed... They say that Gallardo's conduct had an effect on the match, and therefore he is 
in essence, an ineligible player, something that we saw earlier on in this competition with Santos and in the Copa Sulamericana with the Portes Tamuco, the Chilean side. And they argue that this result should be scrapped and it should be a 3-0 walkover win for Gremio. They would then go through to the final. River Plate obviously would not agree with that, and that would be not their interpretation. But that's where we stand right now. Conmebol has yet to make a decision. One final thing to note, there's no precedent for Conmebol making a ruling like this when it comes related to a manager. But the Uruguayan FA did in 2017 when Uruguayan club Sudamerica were handed a 3-0 walkover loss against Danubio after their manager failed to heed a touchline ban. So there is precedent, even if it's not from Conmebol. And that is where this tie stands. River through to the final pending appeal. Okay, so what I'm going to do here is I'll go round the virtual table we have here on this pod and uh, on, on those two decisions and see, you know, what decision you would make in that situation. So, first of all, let's talk about the penalty decision, as, as that was the first one, really, to discuss as it actually happened in the game. had an effect on that. So, um, Simon... I know that we certainly disagreed on, on this one. For me, it was very much a penalty. I personally think it was uh, a deliberate handball. Uh, I, I think he intended to get any part of his body he could in way of the ball, including his hands. And um, so it was instinctive. It was an instinctive action by the Gremio defender. It was also deliberate. Um, uh, but I know that you disagree on that. Well, again, it's it's difficult for me because I can in in keeping with how these decisions are generally judged, I I can completely understand why it was a penalty. I think the the discussion and the the perception of these calls has moved to a position where it's not particularly controversial. But what I would say is referring to the laws of the game, um, I think generally the expectation for what a penalty is is kind of shifted and I don't think it really reflects the, the the wording of the rule the rule specifically says the position of the hand does not isn't necessarily make it a penalty which which is you know fair enough also there has to be a deliberate movement to prevent the ball and to stop the ball and also you have to take into consideration the distance between the player kicking the ball and the player stopping the ball with his hand and I think with all of those caveats and also the speed of the play all of those caveats i think it's very hard to make a uh, a clear definition as to whether that was a deliberate attempt to block the ball and again i i don't want to push this too hard because i can completely see both sides of it um but i i do think and again i think the referee hasn't made an unusual call in this regard i do think as well looking at var VAR often means the referees look to see if it hit the hand or if there's contact with the hand. And it's slowed down footage as well, isn't it? And the slow and exactly. I will say this, that the slowed down footage does make it look much more of you know, much more of an obvious decision than it than it was. Yeah, and again you I think that's sometimes an issue as well. Referees will freeze it and then look at it and go, Look, it's touched the hand and think sometimes maybe that's the, the call in itself. So again, I think um I think the issue is here that the, the laws of the game say you can only give a handball if you can determine it's deliberate. Whereas I think the perception is uh, you assume it's a handball if it hits the hand and then you can try and talk your way back by talking discussing intent. 
I think the way the rule's been applied more recently um, takes the wrong approach based upon the laws of the game. So I would personally think it's a difficult decision to make. I, I don't think the referee can uh, necessarily judge uh, it was uh, intentional or it was a uh, deliberate given the speed of the play, given the position of the striker, his hand was raised, but I would say it was to balance, to to help him raise his leg to try and stop the ball. It's very difficult. I, you know, I'm not going to live or die by this or throw my hands in the air and be un- unhappy, but I do think there's a big question with a lot of these handball decisions in terms of how the laws of the game interpret and how the referees have traditionally, more recently, uh, looked at these decisions. So, for me, it probably wasn't, but, I, you know, I can see why it was given. And Tom, yeah, Don't throw your hands in the air, Simon, because, you know, you might, you might get a penalty against you as well. So, I think it's, it's... I can see both your points of view, to be honest. It's one of those situations where, certainly, I agree with Adam on the sense of Bressan is just trying to get anything on the ball, and you could interpret that as deliberate. But I also see the side of it where there is no way you can even looking after uh, replays, determine 100% that that's what's happened. I think what, for me, was the, the most telling thing is there wasn't really much of a protest. Everyone just expected that to be a corner. And I, I think you can often tell a lot by play, the player's reaction on the pitch itself. So big, big huevos from Cunha to give that um, in Gremio Stadium at that moment of the game with all the implications that that involves. Um, but if anything, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it was more controversial that that VAR wasn't used for that first goal for River. That is <laughs> interesting. And Austin, which uh, which side of the argument do you fall down? Because uh, it wasn't clear to me. I've, I've kept my cards close to my chest here. I, I haven't played them too, <laughs> too I've, soon. It's been loaded. <laughs> I think, I think um, you were scared of offending either myself or Simon, so you just sort of <laughs> right. sat on the fence. Oh, Argentinian Twitter, <laughs> you yeah. piece of cat. Yes, that's me. Um, I would not have given a penalty. Um, I don't think it is an egregious error to have given a penalty. And, and again, this is where I think VAR is is changing football and changing the way football is played because we are watching things in slow motion and that's something that officials have never had the luxury of doing. And I think some would argue, and and I think I would include myself in this shouldn't have the luxury of doing because it does change the perception of it. When you see a ball going frame by frame towards an arm that is clearly extended, it's pretty easy to say, Oh yeah, that's a handball. But when you watch it at full speed, I think the perception of it does change. So personally, I would not have given a penalty. And another thing that I think, shouldn't be considered but sometimes maybe is is the magnitude of the moment and i think that's just a really difficult time for a call like that to happen you know you never want to tell an official to to swallow his whistle um in american sports they'll often say that they want to let the players decide the game and not the officials and yes things should be legislated equally from the first minute to the 90th but for a moment of this magnitude a match of this magnitude to be decided by a video review of a play that, you know, as Tom said, wasn't protested super heavily on the pitch. 
I I would not have chosen to give a penalty in that situation. Uh, and also credit to Pete Martinez after a six minute break in which he was probably spoken to by every player on the pitch for Gremio for absolutely taking a perfect penalty. That can be really hard to do in that situation. So I think he does a, deserves a lot of credit for that too. Indeed. And another especially, person who I think sorry, and especially as he didn't have a particularly good game in the first leg. No. He was pretty disappointing. You know, he had dropped down to the bench. It come off the bench and it helped change the game. And then, yeah, like you say, to step up at, at that moment was a, you know, he, he showed muchos huevos. Right. And, and another person and kind of entity that I think deserves a lot of credit here is Gremio and their goalkeeper, uh, Marcelo Groi. He made it very clear in his post-match interview. He didn't think that the video review cost him the game. He placed his trust in the official and says, look, we have to trust that he made the correct decision. We had this match in front of us and we lost it. And, and, you know, there's definitely some truth to that. And I think Gremio as a club, you can criticize them for maybe looking to, to win this tie kind of through the back door with a protest. But they're not protesting anything that happened on the pitch. They, they've made it very clear that they trust in the decisions that the, the official made. They maybe disagree with some of them, but they're not trying to overturn this on something that happened on the pitch. And, and that's not an attitude that you necessarily see a lot in South America. So I do think Gremio deserve a little bit of credit for that as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree on the, the class show from Grow there. And, and again, as we've seen many times in this tournament, there's there's been some good goalkeeping performances obviously you mentioned that save from Armani and I really think that was probably the turning point that gave River that hope that they could break through because for most of the first half they were definitely the better side and and I was wondering Austin what do you what do you think of the tactics of uh, the way Gremio set up because I don't know if it was necessary negative because I think you'd probably do the same thing if you go into this tie with a one goal lead but I just got the sense that they were kind of inviting the pressure on. They're, they're not an, an inferior side in terms of technique and stuff. And it almost felt a bit similar to that Cruzeiro Boca tie in, um, earlier in the tournament. And I don't know, maybe you could argue that they were very, very close to going through. And But for a couple of little tiny decisions, that tactic would have paid off. But I was, yeah, I was just wondering if you, you thought that they maybe deferred to River a bit. I think they did a little bit, but it's also important to understand that this is kind of how Gremio play. You know, this this is their style. They trust in their defense, and and not having Walter Kahneman at the end of the day did prove to be a big loss I for think, them. Sorry, um, sorry to jump in. I think even bigger loss than Kahneman for the way Gremio wanted to play the second leg. Ideally, is the fact they didn't have Luan there on the as an option on the counter attack. You know, he would and also didn't have Everton until yeah. the second half. Yes. Yeah. I think he, you can he, definitely... He did have a chance, though. So, um, yes. Know, he had the chance of, of this game. But, um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, Luan, as we saw last in last season's competition, is such a crucial player for them, especially in, you know, what people would say, clutch moments. Um, so, yeah, I think that, for me, that was a, that was a big issue for, for Grimm. But then also, as you said, Tom, Gremio were, you know, one potentially questionable call and another call that could be 50-50 away from going through with relatively no issues here. You know, they got pressured in the first half, they scored a goal, and then for the second half, it looked like they would be able to see this out fairly easily. So, you know, hindsight is is always twenty twenty. But for the most part, I think Gremio approached this tie pretty well and, and played to their strengths and played to what has made them successful as a team. 
and sometimes it just doesn't go your way with that. Yeah, to be fair, I think I saw a stat saying that that was the first time Gremio had had lost a home game in the Libertadores that they'd taken the lead in, like the first time in 65 matches or something. So you could be, uh, you could forgive them for for taking that approach. I think. I also think as well the the goal really kind of changed them a little bit as well. I think they came out a little bit more uh, fluid in their counter-attacking play. But when you get that second goal in the tie uh, at home, I think it did kind of put them a little bit at ease and, and uh, lessened their intent to break forward and get that decisive goal. I think they kind of felt the job was done. And again, River were playing some nice, more dynamic football, I would say, in the second leg, more comfortable. I'd say they looked a little bit more relaxed as well, away from home. Sometimes the, the pressure of being at home can do that to you. Um, but I do think that both sides were perhaps, you know, countering a little bit quicker than they were in the first leg. Obviously, River were chasing the goal. But I do think that that goal for Gremio as well set them back a little bit in terms of uh, their intent to, to counter. Uh, and with the personnel missing, um, I think they just kind of felt very comfortable at half time, uh, And that maybe prevented them from pushed them back a little bit, I'd say, and uh, made them sit back a little bit deeper than they perhaps should have done given how things ended up in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, we were discussing pre-pod, weren't we? For me, I just felt that Cremio never looked particularly composed and assured um, in their defending all night, really. Um, especially if you compare it to what we saw in the first leg. There was definitely more more nerves present every time they, they had to clear it or... They had to defend a river player running at them, for example. But yeah, for me, I think the pressure did get to them, and I think that played a part in 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 some of the bad decision making, which 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 led to the river comeback. Um, Simon, another disappointing performance from Quintero. No, I, I thought I just it didn't really click for him at any point over these uh, over these two legs. And I think now it'd be a surprise if he was to start the final. Yeah, I think tactically River, um, I think Prato up front, um, while we may have some reservations about uh, his clinical finishing, a few areas of his game, I think he was quite dynamic. And I think him and Borre did move the Gremio defence a little bit and give them... Uh, something more to worry about, which perhaps uh, impeded their ability to be as solid as they were. Obviously, kind of a missing is another big one. And being at home as well, you kind of want to have uh, a little bit more energy in your, your attacking play when you're at home, whereas away you can probably sit back and you know defend uh, valiantly. Uh, in terms of Quintero, yeah, you know, I think, again, Rivers midfield, I think, was a bit more dynamic in this game, which did help. Um, I think that was an important improvement. But Quintero, yeah, I mean, in the first leg, there were times where he was picking out some nice passes, but there wasn't much movement. And it was a good pass, but it wasn't a defence splitting pass. It maybe was a 20-year pass into the striker's feet, who, again, even Borre, who doesn't necessarily have the physical attributes to make something out of nothing, although had two very good games and has been playing well for an important player for River. Or Skoko, again, not particularly dynamic. So he was making, in the first leg, some good passes, but not decisive passes. And in the second leg, again, I think he was dropping very deep to get the ball. And then you know, he's given responsibility by River. They, they always look to give him, get him on the ball. And obviously, you know, he's got the quality to, to do that. But yeah, he didn't necessarily find those openings or find those spaces to make a big, big impact. And uh, yeah, you know, obviously, Piti Martinez coming off the bench and perhaps being a more dynamic option as well. Um, looks like he may get the start in the final. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, again, Quintero up against... Uh, 
uh, a big, big Super Clásico Libertadores final with a very physical, uh, t- intense match. Will he be, get, be a bit lost? You know, I think there's a case for that maybe as well. He would also have his uh, Colombian international teammate marking him as well, I'd imagine. Uh, Barrios. Yeah, exactly. And Barrios, again, I think has shown, we'll talk about him in a minute, but has been one of the best players in the continent by, by quite a long way. I think very, very impressive. So it would be very tough. Uh, I do think that maybe uh, a 20-minute cameo might be the best option for the final uh, for River. Yeah, from what I saw of the semi-finals, I think I have to agree with you there. I think it's time to debate the other major sort of talking point off of this game. And that was what Austin explained earlier about Marcelo Guillaro, his disguise. Um, and uh, he's talking on the radio. So basically ignoring the punishment dished out to him and River. I, I put this on Twitter yesterday or the day before. I can't remember now. The issue for me here is the arrogance shown by River and Gallardo to basically, you know, completely ignore the punishment dished out, which I think is, you know, sometimes I would just let that slide and and sort of admire almost the, the, the anarchist spirit of it. But in this Libertadores, in this year's Libertadores, which has seen so many, um, you know, controversial issues surrounding um, eligibility of, of, of players and and we've seen in the Copa Sudamericana you know Tamuco especially get very harshly penalized for a player who didn't even play for another team in the competition he was just simply registered to another team um, it was you know this really stuck in the throat for me that kind of thing sits very uncomfortably I think with with a lot of football fans, if, if, if a big club basically can think they can just behave how they like with complete, you know, disregard for the rules, um, you know, I would quite like to see a pretty harsh punishment dished out here. You know, a walkover, a 3-0 to Gremio, you know, that would be the very harshest punishment um, available to Commonwealth. Um, <laughs> it would be perhaps slightly harsh to go that far but you know it would also be quite amusing I think <laughs> given the huge build up we've now already had to the Super Classico final but yeah it's difficult to imagine that Commonwealth will do that but I know that Austin you think they very much should do that and, and you've even written a piece um, for World Football Index on it so um, I'll, I'll let you have your say now on this topic. Yeah for me I think there's a couple of things that make this the type of situation that it is and that kind of lead me to conclude that the walkover is what Comnable should do. Again, I'm not saying this is what they will do, um, but I, I, like you said, Adam, the, the attitude that, that Gallardo and River kind of approached this with was, we're going to do what we want to do and you can't punish, you know, we don't think you have the stones to, to punish us to where it would actually hurt. Um, Regardless of, of what Connable decides to do, I don't think there's any question that Gallardo won't be on the touchline for either one of the matches in a potential final should River be allowed to advance that far. Uh, I think he's probably resigned himself to that fact and River Plate have as well. But I think it's also important to consider that what Gallardo did wasn't simply a, a spur-of-the-moment decision to say, ah, 
I need to get down to the dressing room. My team needs me, you know, to hell with any sort of, of regulation. I'm going to do this. What River and Gallardo did was was premeditated and was pre-planned. This required infrastructure. This required planning. This, you know, to set up a radio communication so that the assistant could communicate with Gallardo. And Gallardo has admitted to that charge. He, he said that he was in communication with his assistant, Biscay, during the match. And so, and this is the argument that Gremio have taken is that Gallardo did not act alone here. He acted not just with the approval, but with the help of his club. And so this is a club-wide issue. And so the punishment of simply punishing Gallardo by banning him from being on the touchline, fining him a, a substantial amount, and, and you know maybe even banning him from the touchline for the foreseeable future into next year when it comes to Libertadores, Grimmio argued that that's not enough because River are complicit in this as well. And I think that's the position that I hold. Because like you said, Adam, this was flagrant disregard for a punishment handed out by Conmebol. And I don't think the punishment was, was fair to River or to Gallardo, that he should be banned from the touchline simply because his team was late coming out of the dressing room after halftime. But regardless, that's what the punishment was. And that Gallardo and that River Plate have said, you know what, that punishment doesn't apply to us. When you have a case of a team like Santos and a team like the Portes Temuco, who unknowingly played an ineligible player, they weren't trying to break the rules. They simply did and were punished. Now River were trying to break the rules. They knew full on what they were doing. And also when they'd already been handed at least one get out of jail free card by Conable and this Libertadores, there's a legitimate argument that they shouldn't even be in the Libertadores at this part because of the Zuccolini case. But the appeal wasn't filed in time. They had some sort of letter. All right, you're fine. Continue on. But that River would have that benefit them already. And then follow that up by a brazenly disrespecting a ruling of Conable. It just doesn't sit right with me. And I think the fullest extent of the punishment should be used here by Conable. And I don't know that River would have much of a complaint if they did that because they've admitted to the charge. They've said that they've done what they're accused of doing. Well, I, for one, think that it would be a big surprise to me if Gromeo's lawyers can argue it better than Austin Cat after hearing that impassioned <laughs> speech. Um, Tom, are you now convinced after, because I am, after hearing that from Austin, I'm very much in his corner. Are you? I mean, yeah, definitely pulled at my heartstrings there, but I'm, I'm afraid that the, the cold cynic in me can't see uh, anything changing here. I th- I I get what Austin is saying, but to be honest, um, I don't. I think kicking them out would be overly harsh. I think a big suspension, big fine will happen. But let's be honest. Let's look at the reality of uh, of the situation. Commonwealth aren't gonna. Even if they maybe should, they're just not gonna do it. We all know about the anti-Brazilian conspiracy, so that that's uh, you know, we 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 could point to that maybe. But at, at the end of the day. I think it's just, it's, it is a, I think what it is is very, very stupid from River in terms of how flagrantly they've uh, disregarded the rules, especially as Austin said, in a year that is, or a, uh, this year's competition, which has been absolutely dogged by admin and off the field controversies. And they just didn't help themselves in stoking a fire, which is, you know, already raging and a lot of Brazilian clubs feeling very hard done by. So, yeah, they've benefited from some some loopholes, um, but I can't see this being quite big enough to really, you know, persuade Cobra to to give up the chance for a Boca River final. I mean, I know 
that maybe that's not the best way to look at it, but I'm just being realistic here, I'm afraid, guys. Okay, that's, that's two to one. So, Simon, you can either cast it three to one or, or make it two two. What do you say? All right, well, well, I've been having to think, and, you know, given the importance of the competition, it's a big final. We're going to have an earlier kickoff. It's going to be potentially shown in Europe at a, a, a decent hour. You know, there's going to be so many eyes on this game. I've had a thought, and what I've decided is we should have a stadium ban. So the second leg of the Copa Libertadores is final. It's played behind closed doors, no fans at all. Uh, that's going to be the best for the competition. We can all enjoy that. Have a complete silence in the Monument down for the second leg. River go through, but no fans, and Gajardo has to watch it in a cafe around the corner. How about that? Now, in terms of this decision, it's, you know, I think, Good points all around. I think he's got, I think it was a stupid thing to do. Um, uh, really stupid. And I think there should be a strong, um, strong response, but I can't see anything. You know, what would I do? I would ban him for the group stages. I mean, kick him out of any, <laughs> any Libertadores games for the next, I don't know. But in terms of kicking River, I can't see it happening. I can't see it happening. I can't, I can't see the justification. I think it was a flagrant disrespect. Um, and given, you know, if, if, if this was Europe, you would say, okay, well, this is the, this is the action. This is the consequence. You can weigh up if it's worth it. But in South America, you just can't do that because you really don't know what's going to happen, especially with something with no clear recent precedent. So I think it was a stupid decision by River uh, and a massive risk. And I can see the temptation of Commonable going, well, fuck you then. (laughs) And just throwing them out of the competition out of, you know, disrespect um, but the money involved, the scale, the enthusiasm, the primetime European uh, show that they're proposing, I can't see them. I can't see them backing down. And I couldn't make a strong enough case, although Austin's done very well, uh, to, to kick out River at this stage. I also I really... think it feeds into just the general idea that Argentinians can maybe be more arrogant, especially those from Buenos Aires, which I think a lot of people from around Argentina would probably even even back up. So it definitely f- feeds into that stereotype perhaps already. But at the end of the day, we can't have the same Libertadores winner two years in a row. It's just, it just doesn't work like that. So deal with it, Austin. <laughs> I'm just glad that Simon has made all of those years that we've been listed as explicit on iTunes worth it for that one moment on this podcast right there. I'm proud that we've finally lived up to that <laughs> tag as a podcast. Good job, Simon. I didn't come beat me. <laughs> Any closing remarks, Austin? Miller? Yeah, I know. I need to, I need to, I need to land this case here. So I can win <laughs> the, the final votes that I need here. To, uh... Inconclu- this isn't about justice. We can just, move about, we can just go into Boca Palmeiras, maybe. Oh. Oh, yeah, because that'll be that'll be better for me. <laughs> and I think the one thing and this is kind of the tack that Gremio have chosen chosen to take in this, that their president gave an interview today explaining their appeal. Important to note, they did appeal within the 24 hours. That was the issue earlier on in the competition. They, in fact, flew their appeal to Paraguay to make sure that they got it in the allotted time. So Connable will have to give this some a serious thought and they'll have to look at it. And the way Gremio have framed this is. They're telling Conville that they believe the integrity of their competition is at stake here. Um, that Conville allowing River Plate to continue on with having basically said, you know, we're going to do whatever we want. Conville, you can't do anything to stop us. That the integrity of Conville's 
competition and, and of the Libertadores is at stake here. The honor of it was was a term used by their president. And I think that's probably the the best way for Gremio to approach this, to kind of get Connable into a, an uproar and kind of fighting about this, for Connable then to come in and say, no, 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 we're the ones with the power. We're Connable. Come on. I think that's probably Gremio's best hope is that Connable do get upset with River kind of taking this this tact that we're bigger than the Confederation because we're River and we can do what we want, Conmobile can kind of maybe then big them and say, no, we're Conmobile, we do what we want. Uh, that might be the, the best opportunity here that Gremio has. Again, I, I agree with you guys that I don't think Conmobile will take this step, but you know, as, as I've laid out, I think it's what they should do. move on to talk about another happy topic for you, Austin, um, which was the other semi-final, uh, which finished 2-2 on the night, uh, but 4-2 on aggregate, and, and as you've already probably worked out from, from all the chat in, in, in this pod so far, it's, it's Boca Juniors that advanced to the final. Palmeiras left themselves too much to do um, in, in this one, though, Austin. Um, at one point when it went 2-1 uh, with about 30 minutes left and they had a corner I think it was and there was a header and maybe if Borgo had reacted you know, half the second quicker he might have been able to direct the header in and suddenly you know, Palmeiras would, would have been just a goal away with sort of 20-25 minutes remaining from a, from a place in the Libertadores final but um, in the end, Boca found another goal uh, and uh, and killed off the tie. Um, disappoint disappointment in the end for Palmeiras, no? Who, you know, obviously the, they're one of the richest clubs in in South America. They faced another rich club in in Boca, of course. Uh, but you know, they've, they've just fallen short um, this year. But I think I think we can expect them to be back next year amongst the contenders again, though. No? Yeah, we should. Um, 16 unbeaten in the league for Palmeiras. They're four points clear with six matches to go in the Brazil down. So they are the odds-on favorite to lift that title. Um, they're practically a guarantee to make the group stage of the Libertadores next year. For me, this tie wasn't won or lost last night in Sao Paulo. It was lost in, in the 10 minutes in Buenos Aires when Palmeiras hadn't played particularly well, but were a couple of minutes away from grinding out a nil-nil, and then it, it kind of all un unraveled for them. A set-piece goal for Benedetto, who becomes kind of the killer of Palmeiras with three goals over this tie. And then, obviously, that fantastic goal that he scored for the second. That, as you said, Adam, just left them too much to do. And with the pace and ability of Boca Juniors on the counter, you know, it kind of always felt that Palmeiras would need to get four to go through. It, it was hard to see them keeping a clean sheet last night. They nearly had some hope early. They put the ball in the back of the net uh, with about 12 minutes gone, but the video assistant review did overturn that play for offside on Daverson. Rightly so. Uh, Daverson said that he was offside and, and offside he was. And then Boca got their goal. Um, Juan Chopi Abila, man. Still getting starts for Boca Juniors, despite all the evidence suggesting that he might not be that good. He did score a goal, but man, he tried his hardest to miss it, didn't he? Uh, and then that made it too far for Palmeiras back, as you said, Adam. They got the two. 
had a shot at the third. But if anybody has ever watched Miguel Borja play, you know one thing. He's never scoring on his first chance. And unfortunately for him, that was his best chance to score on the night. So too much to do for Palmeiras. I think they acquitted themselves well in this Libertadores. But they will be shaking their heads because of that 10 minutes at La Bomaneda. And that was, in the end, what cost them a spot in the Libertadores final. Uh, Simon, Colombians playing a huge role for Boca Juniors. Villa on the night was very impressive. And Wilmar Barrios may be the best player in this competition. Yeah, I think he's definitely up there. I mean, in, to- in terms of impact, um, watching the game, he didn't stand out massively. But you look at the statistics and he won the ball most often. He made the most blocks. He made the most passes. He had the most touches. He was just everywhere. And he was at the base of the big midfield for Boca and involved in everything. In terms of Villa, who came on, and I think this was the big difference in this tie um, Boca playing with Wit for so much better. In the first leg, Pavon playing kind of behind the striker was just baffling for me. Obviously, he cuts inside. Obviously, he's dangerous on his right foot, cutting inside from the left. But don't start him inside. Start him out wide. Stretch the game. Find him in space. And then he can cut inside. And, and Villa is a proper out-and-out winger. He takes all the free kicks for Boca Juniors, which is something else I noticed. For a young guy who's just come in from Colombia to already be on free kicks. And his pace is just incredible. So while Villa wasn't involved throughout the game, his his presence, his pace, really ensured that Palmeiras had to be careful for the counter. Um, and while Avila lacks the, the nuance and the quality and the subtlety of, of many players, Benedetto included, I think tactically his inclusion did make sense in this game. He was an outlet. Uh, Boca Juniors had a clear game plan, which I think was the difference for them more than anything. They had pace out wide. They had an option up top. They were solid in the middle. Um, They looked more dangerous in this second leg than they did in the first leg at home where they played more attacking players. Um, Obviously, Palmeiras had to get a goal, which created some space, but the pace of Pablo and Villa... Uh, Via in particular was really, really, really important. And Barrios is different class. Barrios uh, links recently with Real Madrid. Tottenham, obviously, long-term interest. But he is, yeah, he is next level for me. And just in terms of his maturity and his intelligence, com- you know, combined with his athleticism and his ball winning, just a really, really classy player. Yeah, I agree with uh, with what Simon said there. And I, I think even though Barros Escalotto's had some criticism about maybe not imprinting a a big sort of a definite style on on Boca's play. I think this is his sort of favoured formation. We we saw it at Lanús as well, where he'd he'd, he'd aim for that four three three with wide, fast, direct guys like Pavon, like Villa, um, and then you yeah you would often see a big centre forward like Pepe Sand, and in this case Ramon Avila um, was the elected guy, the the spearhead up front. He might be a bit of a blunt instrument, but you know he he got that goal and. Apparently, that was Boca's quickest goal in Brazil since 2003 when Guillermo Barros Escalotto was the the last guy to, to score a quicker goal than that. So it's a, quite an interesting parallel there from, from Barros Escalotto. And I think uh, even though he's probably not the best manager... He's just there's something about him and Boca and the fact that he's he's won so many trophies as a player. And yeah, I just have a feeling that the... The mystique, as they often, the mystica um, of Boca in this competition might take them through. Um, as well as uh, Barrios and Mia, I, I think obviously we need to talk about Benedetto just showing his class again. Um, I think 
he got three goals from his first three shots and he, he's the difference uh, from Boca's pretty dreadful performances in the group stage to the fact they've got that clinical edge that they can they can either bring off the bench or start with and I think he, that was you know a big factor in deciding this tie. His, his goal wasn't quite as um, eye-catching as the one he got um, in, in, the, in the first leg but well, the second goal he got in that first leg but it was a, no, a not... fine fine drive though, wasn't it it was so cleanly struck into the corner uh, it, was the, it was a lovely goal to watch yeah, it was a really nice goal. Um, I mean, I think Felipe Melo could have done a little bit more um, to try and stop Benedetto just sort of walking past him, basically. But yeah, you, you can't um, can't criticise the finish. And I mean, yeah, the one in the first leg was was probably one of the better goals in the whole tournament. But yeah, Benedetto, I think you know could be the difference um, in the final two. And and a little word for Agustin Rossi as well, the much maligned Boca goalkeeper who. None of the fans seemed to really uh, back, but he made a couple of good saves. Uh, there. I think there was one from a Gomez header from a corner, and then Lucas Lima had a shot that he did really well to sort his feet out and and turn away. So I would really like for Rossi to um, sort of prove prove the doubters wrong and, and show that, you know, actually he might not be the most sensational keeper, certainly not on the level of Armani or some someone like that, but He's he's done well and he's been dependable and I think that would uh, shut a lot of the haters up. So good for him as well. That that crossed my mind whilst I was watching the the game last night, um, especially as you know we we covered this in our preview. You know the whole um, situation with Carlos Lampi, the Bolivian international number one, joining them just before the semi-finals. What I understand, he very much expected to play in these games. So. And I think a lot of Boca fans hoped that he would play as well. So, like you say, you know, Rossi came into this game with quite a lot of pressure on his shoulders, and um, and he and he's ended up uh, proving any of these doubts wrong, really, for the time being. Tom, one thing that I, I I think sticks out to me about this Benedetto performance over these two legs is Argentina could have really used him at the World Cup. That injury that he had was so untimely for him because he probably could have made a difference in that Argentina squad. Yeah, I think that's not a bad shout. When when he first came in, it was a bit of if it felt like a bit of a hail mary. Like, okay, this guy's having a great time in in the league, and he's he's clearly one of the better strikers at, in South American club football. Um, and it it was kind of used almost as a stick to beat Argentina with, like, hey, come on, you've got Icardi, Duvala, why are you, you know, putting Benedetto in there? But I think he's the type of guy who's He's not too flashy, but he, he's, he's a good sort of solid 7 out of 10 on, on all aspects. And I think he, he maybe would have uh, fitted Sampaoli's system, or, or lack thereof, um, better than you know players who've, who who've, have failed and failed again at international level for Argentina. So I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him taken to the World Cup. And, and who knows? I mean, I don't think uh, they Argentina would have got too far in that tournament with or without Benedetto, but maybe he might have smoothed over some of the cracks. Tom, my question uh, is, um, Boca Juniors, uh, they've conceded a few goals, and Isqueiros, for example, was very clumsy on the penalty. Uh, Hara obviously can play further forward and isn't particularly convincing. Olasso in the first leg was a problem at left-back. How good is this Boca defence? And obviously they have Barrios in front and uh, Perez Nandes, you know, players that do cover 
But will this defence be exposed? Because I think River, we'll talk about the final in a, in a minute, but I think River um, aren't going to be as direct, but have players who can work an opening. And I don't know, how, is, how do you think this Boca defence is going to do moving forward? And how do you rate them? I certainly think that's probably the weakest area of the Boca lineup. Um, sometimes it's not exposed as much just because of the style they play and, the, and the, you know those quick counter-attacks down the wing. But I think Magajan is someone I've never been convinced by. I think he's perfectly serviceable centre-back, but when he was getting linked to Ajax and, and stuff like that, I was always a bit sceptical and didn't really see why they were linked with him. Izquierdos, I thought... Yeah, I mean, he, that was a very clumsy challenge and it was an absolute stonewall penalty. But I thought he he did do quite well in terms of the aerial balls um, sort of for the first hour or so. And again, he's he's a Barajas-Gelotto favourite from their, their time at Lanús as well. Um, certainly the fullbacks, again, both Boca and River, n- neither of their fullbacks right now fill me with much, um, much optimism. Um, I think basically Olasa is uh, someone who he, he did very well for Tajeres and we're not seeing the best of him for Boca yet. And Jara is, is very average. But again, you look at the river fullbacks of Caco and, and Montiel and they're not much better. So I think for both sides, they're going to really be looking at getting in behind those fullbacks and, um, and hoping to exploit them. Um, but yeah, it certainly, if we look at the previous, uh, matches between Boca and River then that's um, it's shown that Boca can be got at yeah we were discussing we were discussing this weren't we Tom um, pre-pod I think it's worth pointing out to our listeners who might not know that that River have certainly got the better of Boca haven't they in recent meetings yeah I think River have got four wins out of the last five Um, their latest one in September was a 2-0 win in La Bombonera Uh, Pitti Martinez and Skoko uh, were the goal scorers, and and they were the same goal scorers in the Supercopa final back in back in March. And also, if I recall correctly, Pitti Martinez scored basically the exact same goal in back to back years. You no, know, in in the league match <laughs> yeah. at Bonera. Exactly, yeah. And it's it's been a weird kind of uh, pattern emerging lately of of the away side always getting the win. So we had River um, in the last one. Boca last November won 2-1 in uh, the Monumental. And then the time before that, River won again in La Bomanera. So uh, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, is it actually an advantage to be playing away because of that intense pressure that you get from from the home fans? And obviously with no away fans being there, maybe the, uh, the away side is actually kind of given a bit of freedom just to say, hey, you know, we've, we've got nothing to lose here. Let, let's go for it. It's the fear of losing is actually um, more, de- you know, m- more damaging than than the kind of home advantage that you expect. I, I wonder if that will change for the Luetadores, but it's it's certainly something to watch out for. I do have one final question for the panel before we can, can leave Paul Matus behind. Uh, Miguel Borja, nine goals in this competition. Puts him equal with Morello, the Santa Fe attacker, who also scored nine goals. So my question for you guys is, who gets the golden boot of this Libertadores? Is Morello punished because six of his goals came against Santiago Wanderers and Deportivo Tashira in the uh, playoff rounds? I think in these situations, it usually means the player who also has contributed the most assists. I know in the World Cup, that's usually how they decide it. 
Well, also, I mean, given that the Copa Sudamericana is the new Copa Libertadores, and he has scored two goals in the Copa Sudamericana as well, so I think I think Wilson, Wilson maybe gets it. Santa Fe, free-scoring Santa Fe should be rewarded for their attacking exploits, no? Tom, are, are you with me, Borja, for Golden Boot? Can I, can I count on your support? Yeah, let, let's let's get, go Team Borja. Um, again, I'd, maybe it would, if, the, if they're level on assists, it might even go down to minutes played or games played or something like that i don't have the um the stats uh on me right now but um desperately trying to flick through twitter to see if i can find no, no, something I, but I've, I've, I've i've got i've got y scout up here which has the which has all the stats um player stats and uh and borgas tops on 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 goals and assists uh level with 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 morello uh, so but neither of them have got exist assists in this uh, competition just nine goals each. Um, yeah, so yeah, they're still tied. Share that shiny boot. Now, Borg has got more expected goals. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it comes yeah. down to that. <laughs> Who's one more? And Morello also, Morello also scored quite a few in qualifying. So I don't know if they weighted lower, given that they were playing against rubbish in the pre-qualifying rounds. Yeah, I certainly think Borja's goals have been more important. So for that alone, I'm I'm going to give it to Borja. I'm I'm with Austin on this one. I just can't live in a world where Santa Fe has the Golden Boot winner in the Copa Libertadores. So, <laughs> okay, well, today we're recording this pod on on the Thursday, so Thursday, first November, and uh, and today Commonwealth announced. Uh, to some surprise, really, I think, that the two finals will actually take place on a Saturday rather than a Wednesday um, and a Saturday afternoon kind of Argentinian time as well, which is four o'clock in the afternoon on Argentinian time. So for listeners in the UK, for example, that would be seven o'clock in the evening over there, so eight o'clock in mainland Europe. Um, so, you know, pretty much a prime time Saturday night audience uh, potentially for for this final over there in Europe. Anyway, the first of these of these finals will take place um, on Saturday the tenth of November on uh, Boca Juniors uh, pitch, and the second one will be played on the twenty fourth of November. Uh, so two weeks later, um, and that also kicks off at four o'clock uh, local time. And, uh, and yeah, the only other thing to note here, I think, what we should say at this point, there's, uh, there's no away fans um, set to be permitted. Um, I don't know how many years it's been going on now. Tom, you can probably tell us, but I know that in the Argentinian League for a few years now, they haven't permitted away fans, have they? Um, so we expect that to continue for this final. Yeah, it's it's been the case in Argentina for quite some time now. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, it must be at least four or five years. Um, but it'll be a shame that the the spectacle of the, of the final won't have both sets of fans. But certainly, I remember being in in Argentina the the year that um, River got relegated, and Nunez was an absolute battleground. It was like a post apocalyptic scene afterwards. So. In a way, I can I can see why you would maybe want to separate these two bitterest of rivals. I think um, the Oelico in in the centre of Buenos Aires is is gonna gonna be a very interesting sight after the after the second leg. That's for sure. Indeed, and 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 the other 
kind of strange situation about this we were kind of laughing about pre-pod really was the fact with there being no away support presence. So say if Boca Juniors win the Libertadores, they well, supposedly would celebrate, you know, on the on the pitch in front of no fans at all. Um, but yeah, you know, I also made the point <laughs> and I think you guys probably agree with me, can't really see a scenario where River fans would probably allow the Boca players and staff to celebrate on their pitch and lift the Libertadores in the in El Monumental. I, I, I very much suspect they'll be forced out of the stadium before that happens, or it, it just won't be allowed for security reasons or something. So I think there's probably quite a few people um, in authority which wish that maybe they had brought their decision to make the Libertadores a one-off final, which it will be next year. I think certainly um, the authorities in Buenos Aires at the moment anyway are probably wishing that that, that would uh, that would have come into play a year earlier. And, uh, and I think, I'll say to you guys, I think the police here in Santiago are re- very relieved that they don't have to deal with a Boca River final um, this month. Uh, Simon, your thoughts? Yeah, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Uh, everyone's excited around the world, which is great. I think hopefully the countries in Europe that don't have the Copa Libertadores rights are going to be on the phone right now to Connable to try and get something tied up because I think this is a huge opportunity to showcase uh, South American football to the world um, with the time. Obviously, you know, night games at the Bombonera, the, the Monumental are amazing and it would be a real shame if, or early, early, early evening, six o'clock with the sun going down would be, would be ideal. Um, but, you know, it, it is an opportunity to showcase the Copa Libertadores to the world, whether it will be the most technical, uh, subtle game of, you know, great, you know, quality. We'll have to see. There's quality players out there, but given the the intensity of the atmosphere and the, the nerves that's going to be filled, uh, filling the stadium, we'll have to see how things play out on the field, but it will definitely be a spectacle. And I think um, there are obviously some people who will be listening to this in the UK who find it difficult to to keep track of the games or watch games live, you know, make sure you watch this one. It's going to be, it's going to be great. In terms of the giving the trophy, I was in the stadium for when uh, Tolima won the league uh, a couple of weeks ago. And again, this is much smaller, but we're talking about 45,000 fans and they celebrated with to 45,000 fans turning their back and walking out the turnstiles and the Tolima fans had already been removed and it. And it is a weird atmosphere. Um, but it will be a thing of legend. There will be songs sung in a hundred years about the day Boca won the Libertadores at the Monumental if it was to happen. So, whatever happens, it's going to be dramatic. Uh, you know, thousand dollar tickets already on sale if you can if you can get one. <laughs> and uh, I think many season ticket holders are looking to give up their tickets. So, best of luck with that as well. So, it's huge. And you know, we we love the Libertadores, and this is going to be everything Libertadores in its purest form. Um, so it's going to be fascinating and exciting, and I'm really looking forward to it. One thing I want to note is the fact that we have two Argentine teams in the final. First time that's ever happened. Obviously, the first time we've ever had a Super Classico for the final. But that means we probably get the joy of perhaps having a Brazilian referee for one of the matches in the final because you go to the best refereeing country in South America. So I hope you all enjoy your Brazilian refereeing performance in either the first or second leg of the final. No controversy. 
<laughs> we might get Wilmar. Good old Wilmar. The game yesterday, I mean, in, in the end, it wasn't too bad, but he didn't. He just left his cards at home and let everything go. I think he might have to be a bit careful with that one uh, in a super classical final if he, if he gets the gig and goes for that approach because it's going to be it's going to be intense you know so many things that have to go into this in terms of policing in terms of managing the game in terms of ensuring the the you know, things don't boil over it's going to be it's going to be a big a big event so obviously this is the first time the teams have met in the final but they have met 24 times in this competition before yeah various stages um Boca have won 10 of those to river 7 what I think is worth pointing out here is the last time these two sides met, which is only <laughs> three years ago. Um, I'll hand the baton over to you now, Tom, as you, you can probably recall the instance a little bit better than I can. Yeah, that was a, a very famous incident. Um, 2015 will always go, well, nothing compared to this game, but it was a huge, huge controversy. Basically, um, in the in the return leg, um, a fan known as the Panadero, uh, um, he had got some kind of concoction of homemade acid or yeah some kind of horrible you know corrosive liquid and managed to cut a hole into the into the tunnel and and lob it a load of uh, river players so you know ca- causing them to have to go to hospital with suspected burns and irritation in their eyes, you know, really horrible stuff. Um, and that game was awarded to River, 3-0 walkover, and, and Boca were kicked out of the competition at the, the round of 16 phase. And, and yeah, they uh, they suffered pretty bad. I think, they, were they banned the next year as well? Um, no, they were going to be banned, but then it was <laughs> yeah. their 100th anniversary, so Commonwealth uh, decided yeah. against that. <clears throat> Commonwealth is going to come to us. This is, this is exactly why, Austin, uh, I think we can expect uh, them to come favourably down on the on the two big Argentinian sides. Boca, Boca were big favourites heading into that um, game. I, re- I remember that because, if I recall correctly, that was still when you, know, you had the best team in the, in the first phase playoff against the worst team in the group phase and I think Boca so so Boca were seeded number one and River were seeded number 16 but yeah River won their home leg 1-0 took that to the Bombonera and uh, and by half time you know it got to Boca and they they decided to try and well some of their fans tried to decide to cheat and of course, uh, River went on to win that tournament as well. So that uh, rubbed salt in the wound. So even even more motivation for for Boca to try and get revenge in the in the most sweetest ways. And and I know we've talked about how this is the first one and it's huge, but it's impossible to really describe and and let people know understand just how big this is. It's never happened before. They absolutely hate each other. Like any time they get one over, it's it's a huge deal. So the fact that this is happening in a, in a final is absolutely historic. And it's whatever happens, even if it's a terrible match, it's going to be memorable. And yeah, all I should be on it. And as Adam pointed out, this is the last time that this could happen. The final, at least for the foreseeable future, two-leg fixture in the Copa Libertadores final. And pending Gremio's appeal... We're seeded to a super classico of Boca River. So, as you said, Tom, all eyes should be on this one, and, and there's every reason they can be now, too. 
Okay, we're just going to give a quick glance um, to the, the Copa Sudamericana, semi, where some of the quarterfinal second legs took place this week. Um, and we, we've already got one Colombian team confirmed in the, in the semi-final, although we knew that they would have at least one anyway, even when the, even when the, uh, the bracket came out for, for these quarterfinals. Um, Santa Fe edging out uh, Deportivo Cali um, and they might be joined by Junior um, like I say we're recording this pod on the Thursday but Junior are in a pretty strong position no, going into their second leg um, so Simon uh, just, a, just a quick overview of those Colombian uh, related clashes yeah so uh, Cali Santa Fe uh, finished one all in Bogota Cali uh, pulled one back late on to, uh, to equalise. So kind of advantage Cali in this tie, but uh, uh, Santa Fe took a, an early lead. They scored two goals in two minutes, um, both kind of the fault of Palomeque, the Cali centre-back. Uh, Morelo scored and then Diego Guastavino um, put them 2-0 up. So it was Santa Fe defending a two-goal lead, you know, this is exactly where they would want to be. Santa Fe, we've seen a team very good in the cup competitions, very organised. Uh, four good midfielders, very organised. Top goal scorer, Modelo up top, uh, who, who scored the penalty as well. Um, but then, yeah, Santa Fe, uh, Cali is a team with a lot of quality. They pushed. It was kind of a bit of a flat game. And then Nicolas Benedetti, a, a player we've we've spoken about, a very highly rated playmaker, got the goal for Cali in the 73rd minute. They were pushing and pushing. They eventually scored in the 93rd minute, but it was uh, that man Palomeque was ruled offside. Didn't touch the ball, but was he opened his legs in front of the goalkeeper and let it go through, and he was a margin marginally offside. His hand was offside. Uh, checked the VAR, was ruled out. So, in a huge 3-2 Colombian quarterfinal continental game with a lot of last-minute 93rd-minute drama, there was there was much to to enjoy but nobody was paying attention uh, kind of me included because of all the drama in the Libertadores so the Sudamericana has its merits too and that was an interesting game um, and we'll see Santa Fe progress to the next round uh, Austin how did the Brazilians do? Two Brazilians will be joining them in the semi-final round and they will face off against each other a really good result in truth for Fluminense who defeated Nacional of Uruguay 1-0 away and then in the other tie, we actually were treated to penalties between Atletico Paranaense and Bahia. And Adam, I know you watched this penalty shootout. Bahia did not perform particularly well, did they? No, we pretty much wrote it at the same time in the WhatsApp group, didn't we, when the penalty shootout finished. It was quite clear that one team had practiced their penalties. And I think it's safe to say the other two had perhaps never even taken a penalty before. Um, that was the that was the golf in class between the two sets of penalties that we saw. Uh, Bayers were absolutely dreadful. So we have Paranaense and Fluminense for a spot in the final. A big chance for both of these clubs to make it to the Libertadores. They're both mid-table sides in the Brasileirão, neither at risk of going down. So I think you'll see both of these teams go all in for the Sulamericana. They'd love to lift a continental title. Not the most exciting teams Brazil has to offer, but look, there's the two Brazilian teams left in continental competition. And finally, um, the final teams to join uh, and face uh, Santa Fe in a potential all-Colombian semi-final will be the winner of Junior and Defensa Justicia, who are playing today. So they'll have played by the time you've heard this. 
Junior currently 2 0 up, looking very good. Diaz, Teofilo Gutierrez, a little bit back in form. Candijo and Pico in front of the defence. Uh, defensive Justicia are, are a decent side, but they're going to need to find a couple of goals to overturn uh, the 2-0 lead that Junior take in. A very important 93rd-minute penalty for Junior turned a, a good result to a very good result and puts them in control, but we'll have to see if they can see out the tie. And then potentially a uh, Brazilian, all-Brazilian semi and an all-Colombian semi uh, in the the new best competition on the continent, the Sudamericana or perhaps I'm clutching at straws because I need some Colombian representatives. Ah, you know, there's Colombians in the Libertadores final too. We'll take that. But uh, yeah, Sudamericana, some ill-timed games uh, at the same time as the Libertadores. So it may have slipped under the radar, but, you know, some decent games there as well. I always giggle childishly whenever I hear the name Pico uh, on that uh, junior side, as Pico means penis in Chilean slang. So... uh, Anyway, on that note, um, we, we will finish the part. What a way to close a podcast. And <laughs> also, <laughs> uh, <was> yeah. <laughs> I had to fill the silence some way. Um, Filled it with some penis. Indeed. <laughs> um, I will... Uh, I will come back to you guys and uh, and ask you if you've got anything to plug. Um, first of all, Tom. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at TomRubber89. Um, not too many articles up at the moment. I did a piece on Brian Angulo, the boogeyman, who uh, uh, is a favourite of Xavier, former formerly of this parish. Or I don't know if he's still part of this parish, but yeah. And I did a couple of podcasts with... Um, Peter Coates and Tim Vickery as well, which um, looked at the Argentina friendly. So, yeah, if you have a scroll through my account, then I'm sure you can find them. And Simon? Yeah, Twitter at Simon Edwards, SAF. Closing in on that big 5,000 mark. So if you want to give me a follow, you could do that. Uh, just some Colombia stuff. Getting to the end of the Colombian league season, um, deciding the final eight. Also tonight is the Colombian Cup final. So we'll decide who's going to be in the Libertadores. Um uh, for next year, which is exciting, on uh, Caldas against Nacional. So updates on Colombian football and players on my Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF and Austin. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James nine oh six. And since my delightful teammate Tom neglected to mention them, we've got some scouting spotlight podcasts that are out that the listeners can go and check out. One on Everton that should be out soon. Uh, just ignore the fact that he could have put the tie away from Gremio. He's still a really good player, and we should have a couple of more of those coming in the next coming weeks we were actually going to record a columbia special today before this podcast took precedent so look out for those uh, sebastian via uh, one of the players who will be in on that and as adam mentioned uh, by the time this podcast is up my piece on the site on why i think Conval should give gremio the 3-0 walkover against river plate should be up and probably by the time this podcast out it will be irrelevant because Conval will have probably ruled on that case but do give it a do give it a look, Austin. I think uh, I, I think Tom's moved on to bigger and better things now. He he does pods with Tim Vickery, and uh... <laughs> not at all. I was I was just uh, you know letting Austin uh, giving Austin something to plug. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Sharing the love, sharing the love. Cheers, mate. Appreciate I'll, ne- it. I'll never it. never turn my back on the spotlight pods. They are one of my f- most favourite things to do, as well as chat to all of you guys, <laughs> even if we do talk about Chilean dicks. <laughs> On on my part, 
you can find me at adambrandon84 on Twitter. Um, if you're listening to this pod um, over, over weekend, Saturday, Sunday, then prepare for some emotional tweets, perhaps on the Sunday, because uh, my team here in Chile, San Marcos de Rica, have a match which basically could decide whether they exist as a football club um, in, the, in, the, in the future. So, um, so yeah, please, uh, please keep Arika in your thoughts and prayers over the next uh, few days. So I think all what's left to say is a huge thank you to Austin, Tom and Simon for, for joining me on this pod. If you've enjoyed this pod, then please rate and review us on iTunes, tweet us on Twitter or Facebook. And it's just left to say a few thanks to you guys for tuning in and goodbye.